Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber Internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Integrity First Insurance, provider of Erie Insurance for all your auto, home, life, and business insurance needs. More information at 812-269-8897 or integrityfirstinsuranceservices.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host this week, Holden Apsher, co-hosting with Joe Wren. Today we are talking with our guests about the proposed Monroe County local income tax hike. This is not the first time we've had this conversation. Mayor Hamilton proposed a 0.5 percentage point increase in early 2020 before the pandemic halted the progress. He then proposed a lower 0.25 percentage increase later that fall, but failed to gain city council support. And now the issue is back on the table. You can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Send us questions using email at news at indianapublicmedia.org. Or you can join us on air by calling in at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 877-285-9348. We've got four guests with us today in studio. First, we have William Ellis, Ellettsville Town Council, Ward 2 Representative and Monroe County GOP Vice Chair. We have Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton. We have IU O'Neill School Local Income Tax Professor Justin Ross, and we have Bloomington City Council at-large Representative Susan Sandberg. My first question is going to Mayor Hamilton. Mayor, why is now the optimal time to raise taxes? Well, first, it's really nice to be here. Nice to be with you all, and thanks. It's good to be in person again in the radio studio. <laughs> um, it really, there's, you know, we've been talking about this for a couple of years, as you mentioned, and um, so there are really a couple kind of big factors that have driven this, I think, from the city's perspective. And one is really the, the scope and the cost of government have continued to increase. Uh, so I think everybody knows, you know, we have pretty significant inflation. And when, when inflation hits, what it means is the price is rising for many services and goods. And, and that's what inflation is. Well, City government doesn't really sell many goods. Uh, most of what we do is covered by tax revenue. So we don't increase uh, um, the price of our goods so much as we need to look for revenue as the cost goes up. The scope, too, um, city government is doing things we weren't doing 10 years ago, uh, and we're also doing more things that we've traditionally done. Just a couple examples. Um, Switchyard Park is a beautiful new 62-acre park. It takes maintenance and operations and mowing and, and landscaping and all that kind of stuff in Switchyard Park, which we didn't have before. Uh, or issues like affordable housing or climate change, which were really not a, a big part of the city budget 10 years ago, but our citizens, our residents really ask the city government to address those issues. So that one issue is kind of the cost and scope. Then the second issue, I think, that kind of parallels with that is city government and local government generally here is pretty low revenue compared to most parts of the state. And th that combination has has driven um, ultimately a need for revenue to be able to provide that. And just a couple examples on the revenue. And I'll confess this. I didn't, I didn't know this when I got into the mayor's seat. It just wasn't talked about much. But we in Monroe County have the lowest income tax rate of the seven counties that touch us. Um, we are a high ambition community, and I think appropriately so, but we have very low uh, income tax rates, which is really the, the main way a local government control that. Just, and, and one other example, if you look at the 20 largest cities in Indiana, we're in the top eight or so of those, but if you look at all 20, we're the 19th out of 20 in terms of income tax and property tax rates. And um, that combination of scope and, and cost with revenue pressures uh, really have prompted us to look at we need revenue to do the services people expect. Absolutely. 
My next question, uh, William Ellis, yes. that's for you. Um, you know, the mayor is talking about needed income for the city of Bloomington. What about Ellettsville? Does Ellettsville have income needs? Well, I think any municipality can always say they have income needs, but we've been holding the line pretty much on our spending the last couple of years. We understand that uh, our taxpayers in the town really can't afford anymore. And now there are some things because, as the mayor has correctly said, you know, we have inflationary concerns like with sewer, uh, just costs have gone up. And those are going to have to unfortunately be passed through eventually, and we're working on how to do that. But I, for us, we don't see any major need. But unfortunately, the way the legislation is written at the state level, um, the city of Bloomington's needs may be completely different than ours, but for them to get their needs met, it's going to impact us. So, you know, we will find uh, responsible needs for any money that is is collected. And I think right now some things that's been uh, uh, talked about with the council's public safety, paying down debt. Uh, I, those are probably the biggest two things. But, you know, like I said, our, on our own, we probably would not have – I can't see us proposing this. But uh, unfortunately, it doesn't work in a vacuum the way the, the law is written with this. So, Absolutely. And that leads me over to Justin Ross, actually. We got this question over email just now. Um, people wanting to know how the local income tax council works and how, uh, per se, the Bloomington City Council and the city of Bloomington could push – this through for the entire county? Well, each the state legislation designates that a income tax board has to be made up of a set of representation that's uh, – the, the seats are allocated by a set of rules. But the way they end up applying in Monroe County is that uh, the majority of the board, more than the majority of the board, comes from the city of Bloomington. Absolutely. Uh, another – thing that has been coming in is that is this, you know, it's obviously based off population, but one thing people are claiming is taxation without representation. Is that is that a valid argument here, even though, you know, the, the LIT Council is based on population? Well, uh, you know, in any, in any kind of democratic system, right, you have to figure out how you're going to apportion this. So, like, uh, whether it's the electoral college, where you have a system of points, you know, and you're trying to win a majority within each subset. The the local income tax board is is somewhat similar to this. You know, in the sense that it's kind of like an electoral college like uh, system. Uh, yet, you know, is it fair to call it taxation without representation? No, I mean we rules had to be dis- decided in, in in the setup that um, it's often pointed out that like nationwide, many people live in cities. Right, and yet there's a something of a rural bias at the national level that dials up the weight of their representation. It perhaps works out a little bit differently in this particular case, but I don't. I guess I don't attribute this to be an unfairness element of democracy or anything. Absolutely, and so the, you know this is going to have to go through the Bloomington City Council before it goes uh, to any other financial body in the county. And so on Wednesday, the City Council got their first chance to publicly discuss this. And uh, Susan Sandberg, you abstained from the vote at the end of the committee meeting. Um, what, are, what are you concerned about right now? What are some of the big points of this tax proposal that you're looking at? In a nutshell, it's the scope of it. It's, it's the amount. I think there's no doubt in, in most of our minds that a, a lit increase is important. It is actually essential in some of the buckets that many of us are, are most uh, wanting to prioritize. Um, but it is the amount, I think, that needs to be negotiated, and that's why I pass to be able to have an opportunity to sit down with my colleagues and see if we can't bring that number down to a more um, palatable, if you will, rate. Um, one of the things that, the, you know, the previous question about where goes the Bloomington City Council, there goes the entire count- county, uh, that, that's part of my decision-making. It weighs heavily on me that this decision does impact other people outside of the jurisdiction of Bloomington. And we have to take this job very seriously with respect to, yeah, it's going to be great for Bloomington if we get additional revenues to do the things that are on the want list and the need list. Um, but it does have impact on the surrounding cities and the, the rural areas of the county. And so... I, I might add, I, I don't know if we all would agree, but we all might agree that we would actually love more fiscal home rule. Um, the state of Indiana is very, 
very prescriptive about how local jurisdictions raise money, invest money, spend money, do different things. And for for example, William, you know, we would be fine in Bloomington if the legislature allowed us to raise revenue within the city or on our own and Ellisville the same and the county the same. Um, we just we just are not allowed to. We, we'd love actually to have a progressive income tax locally where lower income would pay a lower rate, but we're not allowed to do that under state law. So that kind of top-down fiscal control does put us all in straitjackets that, that mean we have to, you know, work together to figure out how to make it work well. Well, and that's something I hear on Ask the Mayor show all the time with the other mayors, too, is how do we raise revenue for the city? What are the mechanisms for cities to raise revenue? Well, I, I mean, we have a professor here who I'm sure can can share that, too. But, but basically, cities' um, main sources of revenue are property tax, and that is set very strictly by state order. Uh, the levy, that's the amount of money that we can bring in each year, is determined by a very complicated seven-year state formula that's uniform across the state. And not to mention what we lose in the caps. And then we have the caps, which take away, uh, take away uh, after that. And then local income tax. Those are the two main ways that we can raise general operating money. And that local income tax it itself is capped. It's very prescriptive on how it's done. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it can be frustrating. I, uh, there is, I would say, a little bit of a rural bias in the, in the way the legislature is districted and, and votes. And so um, all the cities will commiserate with each other, you know, on your show and others, Joe, about how we need to – we need to. We, we wish we had more flexibility. I will say, in most, it seems like in most counties, I think what we're one of six or seven, where one city can has the weighting where they can determine uh, whether the whole county can enact a tax. So I don't think the state has so much of a a burn to address this as much because it really is not much of a big problem statewide. And one of the cities that would be is Indianapolis and their a Unigov situation. So that really wouldn't apply anyway. Absolutely. You know, the, the proposed hike would result in $18 million in additional annual revenue for the city of Bloomington. Um, and, and one of the big questions that has come up, um, not only at council meetings, just being floated around, can the city tighten its belt? How tight is the city's belt currently? Sure. Great question. Um, absolutely. Uh, we, we do tighten our belt, and we've done it, and we need to keep doing it. Um, I'll just, you know, just some examples that people may may be interested in. Uh, and I don't always like this because the, the impacts can be tricky. But, for example, the city of Bloomington used to have five street-sweeping trucks that swept our streets. We're down to two, uh, and we sweep the streets less often. Um, that's not ideal from my perspective, uh, but it's a it's a reflection of just you know trying to set priorities and where we go. Um, another example is um, when I came into office, every medical call to the fire department went out with four firefighters and an engine, big red truck. We then implemented a, a new approach that sends out two firefighters with an SUV uh, to many of those just to try to to cut savings. There's a whole bunch of uh, other examples like that, but absolutely, we should cut our belt, we tighten our belt. But the fact of the matter, too, is the big majority of what the city spends money on is personnel. It's people who pick up sanitation, who who sweep the streets, who clean our parks, who patrol our streets as police officers and firefighters. So, um, pretty soon, you get to a place if you're going to try to cut expenses that you're going to be reducing personnel, and that's that's really not what the city residents want, uh, from what I hear from them. And with respect to that, uh, one of the issues that the council is grappling with are the priorities. And when I think about why I want to pay my taxes, and I do believe in paying taxes for the city that we all want, the services that we all want and deserve, and people are very much the key. And so for my priority, it is about personnel. We are losing good people to the private sector. We're losing good people, including our police officers, uh, which we just recently went through the FOP contract to try to see if we can't make conditions better for them. But we're going to need to do it, too, for our firefighters and our AFSME workers, our sanitation workers, our fleet maintenance people. You cannot run a city and provide basic essential services if you don't have good people. And we are now in a position where we're in competition with the private sector more than we ever were. 
and I think our controller, Jeff Underwood, did a really good job the other night explaining uh, the whole situation that it used to be, we always know that you don't make as much money in the public sector as you do in the private sector, but you do it because you have a call to public service, right? And we could sometimes compensate for that by good benefits that now... Are, you know, other sectors are picking up on those good benefits, and the, the playing field is not as, as, as easy for us to get good workers. So for me, the public safety bucket out of this proposal is, is of the utmost importance, and the essential city services. That must be dealt with first because I said it the other night, we have to restore before we do more. Some of the other um, items in the climate change preparedness and mitigation bucket and the equity and quality of life for all, that to me is a little more, um, there are really good things in there, don't get me wrong. And there are many things that I support with relationship to public transit. But there are some things that I think are not as much on the basic essential services line as are things we could delay, defer, spread out over time and not have to do right away. That's why I'm hoping to get this close to 18 million um, proposal down to something much more reasonable. And I'm looking at one now that one of my colleagues sent this morning that's closer to $14 million. And I think those are some pretty judicial cuts that can get us to a better percentage. Absolutely. Well, today on Noon Edition, we are talking with guests about the proposed Monroe County local income tax increase. You can join the live chat by tweeting at Noon Edition or emailing us at news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can also call in at 812-855-081 or toll free at 877-285-9348. Now, Susan Sandberg, you just alluded to the FOP contract, the police union contract. That was a big point of discussion during the 2022 budget cycle. Following that, you then sat in on those negotiations, and you've alluded that this is your top priority of the four buckets that the investments would go into. Um, Is is the $4.5 million... Is, is that debatable? Could could the four and a half million public safety investment come down, or is is, is well, that locked? Right now, I'm looking at a suggestion at four at, at four million three five zero, and that's fine with me. There are some things actually in the public safety bucket that I could compromise on, and again, delay, defer. There are some that we can't, and that that one point five million for the police sworn officer salaries that is not negotiable to me. That is a contract that was done in good faith. That bargain has been completed now. I think both the FOP and the city administration. I think if you've not signed off on it, you're ready to. Waiting for the revenue. Well, that's another issue I'm not real happy with because it was made contingent on us raising this lead, and I was not very happy with that because this is clearly a a need uh, that if we don't bridge that gap with our police department, we're not going to have the police department that Bloomington deserves. We're just not. So that is absolutely essential that that must be included in that bucket. We had a flood last summer that wiped out our our and our police headquarters in the downtown, that's got to be dealt with as soon as we possibly can. So there are some priorities even within that public safety bucket that I absolutely will insist upon going forward um, once this is dispatched with, whichever way it goes. Absolutely. You know, and I believe it was 2016, there was an increase to the public safety lit local income tax. Um, what, what did that increase provide and why is another investment with a large portion of it going to public safety necessary? That's a great question, and it's a great example. When I came into office, I was pretty um, shocked uh, looking at our fire engines where you could put your fist through the side of them because they were rusted through, and they sometimes stalled on the way to an emergency call. We did, we did not have equipment and funding appropriate for our public safety um, uh, servants, and um, so that Point two five percent in 2016 was a, a shared uh, understanding that we needed to invest in public safety, and it focused on equipment, uh, including radios, uh, f- to to get interoperability in the whole county for sheriff and emergency management and police and fire and all that stuff, which we've now done, um, as well as uh, just just upgrading those services. And, I, and look, that worked. We have great equipment now. We are the only city in the state of Indiana that has a nationally accredited police department and a top-rated ISO, insurance-rated fire department. No other city in Indiana has it. That's the kind of thing that that investment made possible. It did not, though, 
make possible increases in police salaries that that President Sandberg just referred to. It did not support um, uh, facility needs that that were also referenced. And so um, that's important now. Now, as mayor, I will also say I I totally agree with, with President Sandberg that it's fundamental that we provide public safety services and other essential services. I do believe also that our community wants us as a city to invest in affordable housing. We do a city survey every every two years, a scientific survey. Ninety percent of the respondents say invest more to support more affordable housing for our people. Similarly, climate change. We had a huge process to develop a a climate action agenda. We're a progressive city. Uh, We want to do our part. So I do think a balanced revenue um, investment is what we've put in front of the council. But absolutely right. It is the council's decision. There are nine of them. We've been talking a lot over the last few weeks, and they have nine different views, and that's okay. And I'm, I'm cheering them on to work out a, a compromise to come together. Would any of the American Rescue Plan Act money, is that still available? How much of that is available? And, and why isn't that being talked about, too, for funding? So it others being talked about it, it's it, part of it. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll just very briefly say, look, the, uh, I want to thank <laughs> President Biden, Vice President Harris, and the congressional leadership, because that federal money, both the CARES Act and the, and the American Rescue Plan Act, were a lifesaver. We, we needed that funding to keep our police on the job, to keep our parks department funded, to keep our streets department funded. So that was very important, and it is important one-time recovery money, which is great. It is, and we will use it for that. We've been using it for that, and it's helped our community a great deal, but it is not going to be there uh, after this. And so we need ongoing revenue to keep those services going. Absolutely. One of the uh, things that came up Wednesday during council was collaboration with county um, mm-hmm. colleagues. How much conversation has there been with Ellettsville, Steinsville County Council? Well, William and I haven't talked about it too much. So no. I've talked to some of your <laughs> colleagues right. uh, on Ellettsville Council um, who have, some of them are actually kind of I don't know. You, anyway, they're kind of indi- they indicate you guys do need some revenue. But I've met with every county council member um, uh, except one, um, uh, six out of seven, to talk about the plans, hear their plans. I think what I hear from them mostly is, um, boy, we're not sure we want to vote on that right now. And I, I get that. But I also know they know they have really big criminal justice challenges in front of them. We have a totally unacceptable jail in Monroe County right now that's going to need major investment in the whole criminal justice system, not just the jail, but wraparound services, mental health. We, we need more in our public health system. So I think the county government is in a good position to do really wise investments uh, as this revenue comes in. Absolutely. I would say with Ellettsville, too, I, I, I under- Yes, there there is definitely some disagreement whether we need it or not. Um, and I think a lot of it does come down to public safety. And it's not a bad thing because public safety, what Bloomington does, what we do, it does, it's not in a vacuum because it's not like Bloomington's fire department stops at their borders or their police department. The same with us. I mean, so we all have to have a very responsive and first-class uh, first responders service. So, and and I say wages and salaries, that's been our biggest increase too. Yeah. And that's that's the hardest thing to keep ahead because if we don't, we lose those people and that institutional knowledge we lose. It's not like we can just hire that back. I mean, it's gone for good. And you know, with the public safety lit, that was a classic example of good inner unit cooperation. Mm-hmm. All of us in Monroe County realized that needed to happen. We needed to get the dispatch uh, situation covered. Um, all of the counties, I think, pretty much came together in agreement that this was a good thing to do for a good purpose. And so that felt really good. And I think I was on one of the very first PS lit committees. And so we were kind of in on the ground floor as that got started. And I felt pretty good about the mm-hmm. about the coordination and the collaboration. I think with this um, ED lit, I think it has been less so um, even though we've all had, you know, our individual conversations with our colleagues uh, in other uh, departments and other, you know, with Ellettsville and, and with the county, but maybe not quite as much. And there's certainly not as much consensus about this big um, amount that is before us right now and what is fair and, and what is uh, what they're going to be able to utilize to their to their great benefit, too. So, and I'm sure they will. Uh, they'll find uses for that funding. Absolutely. Uh, Justin Ross, a uh, question for you. A lot of the conversation has been, you know, it's, it's more expensive to run a city nowadays than it is 30 years ago or than it was 30 years ago. 
Um, and inflation is factoring into that same discussion. I'm curious, and I might just not know, is there a correlation between taxes going up and inflation? Does that, does that tend to happen when inflation is high? So I guess I'll, I'll give you some general answers, and then I'll drill down a little bit on this. Um, so, you know, when, when we think of tax rates as percentage tax rates, right, uh, as opposed to, like, dollars per gallons of gas or something like that, uh, those percentage ad valorem tax rates are um, uh, kind of, like, protected from inflation a little bit because as you have, you know, uh, sales or incomes that are rising with inflation – that's also, you know, being translated into um, uh, uh, revenues for uh, the government collecting it. Now, when we look at the specifics, though, of how the rules work in in uh, Indiana, uh, there's a there's a good deal of time difference, right? So, inflation is happening right now uh, that the city then has to spend on the county. All, all of them have to spend on things, and those things are increasing right now. Uh, and some of their revenues are tied to ad valorem rates, you know, so they might benefit a little bit from that in terms of they might be protected a little bit there. But then on other things like the levy, which is expressed in whole dollars, that can only increase based on essentially like a a formula that is lagged by six years. And over the past six years, uh, inflation is not as as high. In fact, inflation was quite low right up until recently. So in that part of the, the, the system, it's not protected from inflation. Absolutely. Um, we just had a message sent in that the poverty rate in Bloomington, according to welfare.org, is 37.5%. And by comparison, uh, the entire state of Indiana is at 14.6%. And a lot of this local income tax discussion is what is being done to ensure that the low or fixed income residents are protected. I'm happy to start with that. That's a really important factor um, that we pay a lot of attention to. Um, First, we have a kind of overarching principle that says we want as much of this investment as possible to go to support city services that help people with lower income thrive and do well, whether that's investments in public transit so people don't have to own a car and can get around, or investment in affordable housing that helps uh, create more uh, affordable housing, uh, or whether it's investment in, in things like um, energy efficiency that mean your cost of living is lower. There's actually a very specific line item in this um, proposal that is dedicated to economic equity, uh, a million-dollar fund that is, is specifically focused to be available if there are people, low-income earners, who are struggling. Uh, that could be in a form of individual development accounts or other kind of sa- safety nets. Um, and then it's probably worth noting, many people don't know, and this varies by state, but in Indiana, Social Security income, if you're a senior or disability on Social Security, that is not taxed at all at the state level or the local or the local level. So those folks uh, won't see any change in that regard. But it's I mean, it's one of the reasons that I think we have to invest uh, in, in these kinds of um, efforts to help make life uh, more affordable for people here in the community. Go ahead, Justin. I'll just uh, circle back around to the point about the statistic because I think this is always worth keeping in mind when it, when it comes to Bloomington and on many subjects, not just the poverty rate. But one of the things that is uh, peculiar about Bloomington is the presence of college students, Right who a great many of which probably don't fit the stereotype of what we think of as, as being existing in poverty, yet very often get captured in poverty statistics. And to just broaden out that point of view, that also comes with other types of comparisons. So like um, uh, if we want to know what is the per capita property tax burden, right? Well, many of our college students live on property tax-exempt property. They earn little or no income. Right, so when we start thinking about how to make these types of comparisons, that's always a, a thing to make. Right, like so, like the average property taxpayer, for example, might have a very different bill than say the the property tax per capita burden. So you are listening to Noon Edition on WFIU, and our guests are here to field your questions and comments about the Monroe County local income tax increase. You can tweet at us at Noon Edition, or you can send us an email at news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can also join us on air and call in at 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 877-285-9348. 
All right. My next- Susan Watson, jump in here. Go ahead, Susan. With respect to poverty and taking the students out of the equation, and this is a big you know, issue in Bloomington, we do live in, in a, a city that has a tale of two cities with people who are doing very, very well in terms of good jobs and good incomes and people who are not. And um, I have a social services background, and I am very proud of the city of Bloomington. We have a very rich network of nonprofit organizations that provide for those with low incomes, limited incomes with respect to our food delivery systems and with respect to our housing and sheltering um, circumstances. But again, we're talking about this being a tax raise for the entire county, and I'm not quite as convinced that some of the other areas of Monroe County have the kind of programs that we have in Bloomington that can kind of help moderate any kind of a burden that this tax increase might might present. And this kind of goes back to what the mayor said originally where we can't really customize it. I mean, I, I think you – I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think you said you'd rather a progressive tax where you could customize it so b- below a certain level they wouldn't have an impact. Sure. And I'm sure Ellisville would take care of something like that too because I believe if you look at a per capita pro- poverty rate, I don't have it handy for Ellisville, but I'm sure it's higher uh, – of a higher poverty rate than Bloomington does and less of a disparity. So, uh, you know, that's something that we can't customize. It's a one-size-fits-all. Uh, next question, actually, for you, William. Okay. Um, you know, some, some of the conversation has been you know, tax increases at times are inevitable. The question is how much. Um, is there a rate that you think um, the people of Ellettsville or the town, the town council could get behind? I, I do not. I, I, I truly do not. Right now, we're hearing from people. Um, they... The perception anytime there's any taxes is it's too high. I mean, that's just part of it. As an example, um, tax bills just came out, property taxes. The town's portion increased approximately 1%. So most people saw about a $10 increase in tax bills. Now, schools, you know, 14 15%, but the town got a lot of calls. You guys are raising our taxes. A 1% increase, quite honestly, is, is pretty good. I mean, especially since our wages went up more than that. Uh, And so I don't know if the public has more of an appetite for it. But when it comes to the council, I don't – I think our philosophy is our taxes are trying to grow with our our area, with our our population. We don't want to outgrow our tax rate for who we service. And because ultimately, if we keep increasing taxes more than who we service, our tax rate is going to be upside down. We don't want to do that. So I don't think there's anything we're comfortable with because right now, especially still coming out of the pandemic, we haven't seen the rebound in our economy. We have a lot of vacant storefronts. Um, We have a lot of people still using our food pantry. This just doesn't seem that this is the time. You'd want to do this when the economy is really rip-roaring for everybody. Go ahead, Mayor. Well, I, look, I, I, there's a lot I agree with, with what William just said, and, and I just want to make a general point, which is I kind of reference this. We're in a very conservative state now, fiscally, legislatively. Um, uh, in my view, the state is not sufficiently investing in some of these fundamental things. We, we just saw a report about the quality of the environment in the state, waterways and, and such. We've we, uh, we're, we're among the lowest states per capita public, educa- uh, public um, health spending. I believe we're major underinvestment in public education, which is why we have to have referendums locally. And in a municipality, particularly a progressive one like Bloomington, that means if the state is not taking on and investing in some of these basic ways, it falls to us. Thankfully, the federal government helped us in the last year or two. Uh, but we really need – if we care about affordable housing, if we care about climate responsiveness, if we care about many of these uh, – and I support the public education referendum, too – we have to step up locally to fill in that gap. And that actually leads right into a, a next question, actually. The MCCSC is considering a referendum which would affect property taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's two taxes we're potentially looking at increasing here locally. Is, is that a thought? Is there a thought that maybe – too much, too quick? Well, I'll, look, the state is sitting on a giant surplus and is, in my view, irresponsibly pushing this kind of demand down at the local level, point one. They should fund schools adequately. 
they have revenue to do it, and they're, re- they're actually reducing state income tax um, at the same time, uh, which actually, in a way, I guess helps because it means we'll have that reduction at the same time we're doing this. But um, I represent the people of Bloomington. And in my view, the people of Bloomington have high ambitions and high expectations, and they look to government to help solve and address problems. And that's what it's about. Uh, I will be strongly supportive of this referendum, as I have of the last two. And the indications are this community strongly supports that investment in public education. We shouldn't have to do it. It should be funded at a state level, but I believe we will do it at the local level. Uh, Justin Ross, a question that just came in for us um, over Facebook, I believe. Um, how do we know if income is keeping up with inflation in Indiana, and what can the city do to hold large employers like the university accountable with the cost of living? Uh, so I guess that's mostly a data question. Uh, uh, mostly what we have is lagged data in terms of like from one year to the next. So uh, we, we tend to find out a year later. Um, I suppose with respect to local income tax distributions, it's a bit, it, it's a bit quirky still because uh, a a year of distribution is not necessarily twelve months. Some just depending on how the collections go. Sometimes it's thirteen months. Sometimes it's eleven months. So that does make it a little bit difficult to tell what what that has. Um, the uh, but measuring. Things like uh, income growth in the area as small as Bloomington is is generally a, a difficult exercise, right? So when you're trying to survey a population, trying to get a sufficient number of individuals in an area as as small as Bloomington, from the perspective of the country, just quite difficult to do. Can, yeah, go ahead. can I just make a couple points about that? I I, I agree with all of that. Um, uh, one, it is a it is a, a long and and bad news fact that the Indiana's economy, our per capita GDP share of the national economy, has been going down for 50 years, uh, and that's a big blow. That makes it difficult. We are, are we're losing wealth uh, compared to the rest of the country as the economy shifts from more traditional manufacturing to the modern economy, and that's a big challenge. Uh, and that's in Democrat governors, Republican governors. It's been that's just a big challenge. That's the bad news. Now the good news is. Actually, in our metropolitan statistical area, which includes uh, Monroe County and Owen County, that's our metropolitan statistical area, which is a source of data that we can get. It's it's new, but the, the last five years, we've actually increased our share of the state. Our, our comparison to the state uh, per capita income has gone up, and that's a really good thing for Bloomington. That means we have more higher wage jobs compared to what's happening in the state. We used to be quite below the state. We just have have risen to having those wages equal to the state average. Um, and we've risen faster than a number of other cities. Now, that's a really hard thing to move. And a lot of it's private sector decisions and wages. They're, they're all facing wage pressures. But it is a really good signal for our MSA, which includes Owen County and Monroe County, that we've moved up on that. I want to get uh, Susan's response. Go back just a little bit. Uh, regarding the state and city government, you know, the state wanted to get rid of the business personal property tax, and they're talking about sunsetting the food and beverage tax and, and so forth, and kind of going along with what the mayor says. Um, the state is getting billions of dollars over budget, and now we're all getting a tax refund, too. And then here, local governments are raising taxes. They're, how does someone like you on city council deal with that balance? We've always had to deal with that in Bloomington. Um, we realize the state we live in is is somewhat different from the residents of Bloomington. And as the mayor has said, you know, we're a high ambition community. We have a lot of academic um, strength in this community. We have a lot of uh, smart and capable people who want to make sure that the city of Bloomington is culturally strong and economically strong and every other which way strong. So um, there are these clashes between what the city of Bloomington wants for itself and its own residents and what the state is uh, is doing in their own legislative capacity. And we live in this state, and so we have to live by the rules and the regulations that they pass down to us. That said, there is an energy in Bloomington, I think, to want to do everything we can to make this the best place possible for people to live. People in all 
walks, you know, uh, and so um, we do need to take a look at our resources and how we get the kind of resources that we need so that we can deliver on the services to the to the Bloomington residents. It's not easy. It's never been easy. Um, but I think Bloomington does a pretty good job of, of, of uh, making sure that we, we get what our residents are expecting us to deliver. We've spoken about the public safety investment that would result in the city of Bloomington from, from this income tax increase. But the largest bucket, so to speak, is in climate change and climate change preparedness. Um, and that includes $6.5 million. Um, doing, adding a couple lines up, it would be $4.8 million for Bloomington Transit and $1.75 million going towards the Climate Action Plan. I, I think I kind of know the answer, but one question I've been getting is, how is so much of the climate change money going to the Bloomington Transit? That's a great question. And, um, of course, what ultimately goes to Bloomington Transit will depend on what City Council proves. But, but from my perspective, I'll just share that. Um, a couple things. One, when I first started talking about the, the need for revenue in 2020, before the pandemic, there was actually quite a strong uh, affirmative response to the idea of dedicating half of that 0.5 to transit countywide, uh, understanding the expansion of transit, um, the things like we don't have service on Sunday generally, so expanding Sunday service, increasing frequency, um, making it more possible for more people to use transit. We have the highest per capita transit use in the state. We have a great transit system. Um, and so there was a lot of kind of general public support, Chamber of Commerce and others who, who wanted to see that. So that was one point. The second point is a little more timely, I suppose. Um, the federal government just passed a giant unprecedented infrastructure bill. There is serious transit money in that bill to support the growth of public transit, partly for climate, partly for livability and cost. And um, having more local revenue for transit will give us a leg up to get major federal support as well. Um, But there's no doubt that 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 piece of the proposal is taking, would propose to take our transit system to a next level. Um, I think the people of Bloomington appreciate it and want it. It's huge for students. Um, but, we'll, you know, we'll see. It's all a balance, and, and the city council will have to weigh that balance. And I think the bus is certainly something that we can all agree on is a good thing with respect to the very noble goal of getting reducing our carbon footprint, getting people out of their cars. But I think some of the smart people that we heard from Wednesday night was our director, Connell, our new uh, transit director, who's basically saying, you know, we don't want to invest in a bus service that's not going to have any riders. So we've got to be smart about this. Where are the destination points? Where are the employment centers? Where are the places that could actually use an enhancement? of our bus service. I'm totally for making sure that we have more frequent um, bus uh, services because I think that that's what keeps a lot of people out of the buses is it's not convenient enough for them to get out of their car and use the bus instead. Uh, And then there are those choice riders and then there are the people that are reliant on our BT system because they don't have cars. So there, there's some real value in increasing our transit, but we've got to be smart about it. And I think some things on this list are things that can wait or be deferred. Others are more important with respect to trying to level that playing field with our poverty um, constituents and with uh, our very, very important task of reducing our carbon footprint. Absolutely. Can I add one thing on transit? Go ahead, Mary. Yes, absolutely. If you have a whole bunch you need. But just just two examples of of what this can do for the city. Number one, um, we have a lot of people who are more than three-quarters of a mile from a fixed bus route and and people who are disabled who depend upon uh, direct service. Um, And this improvements could help people have on-call service instead of having to schedule a day ahead, helping people with disabilities access the public transit system or or microtransit for people a little out of the fixed route. That's one a second really important option, it's, it's, if, if it happens, would be a major new east-west corridor that's almost like bus rapid transit. You, you know, if people seen what's happening in, in Indianapolis and some of the other cities where you really do rapid, uh, frequent, uh, quick trips. And if we had it, we, um, this would create the potential for a major east-west route that could go all the way from 446 on the east side where we're seeing real density develop all the way through campus, through Hopewell, the new neighborhood where we expect a 1,000 new units of housing, onto the west side. And that could really transform how people live and, and work and move around in our community. But, again, these are all balances, um, but that federal money may help us complete some of that stuff. 
absolutely. Uh, Justin, question for you. So the proposed increase would be 0.855 of a percentage point, which would be 64% or 64% increase from the current rate. I'm curious how this compares to other counties. Is this an, a larger than normal increase to a local tax or a local income tax at once? Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a larger than normal increase or not. I just haven't seen the history of those kind of rate changes. I, can I just jump in really to and ask a quick question about with the annexation? Does that $18 million that you're saying that it would generate, does that include the intended annexation areas? No, it's really totally Because I know that's still up in the air. Yeah. No, this is, this is focused on the current city boundaries. Um, annexation is really uh, an issue of, as, as jurisdictions come into the city boundary, um, that revenue is sufficient that gets allocated from that to provide all those basic services uh, that, that we do. So this is really a totally separate thing. Right. But those people that would get annexed, they would become part of the city. So they could see a more well. They would see enhanced services for sure in mm-hmm. inside the city, from from transit to uh, parks to uh, uh, you know our police coverage to our streets and the arts and all the things that we do, housing inspections, all those affordable housing support, all that stuff would happen. But the the fiscal needs for the city that this is focused on is for the current city. Yeah, as was just to help clarify the role, the the rate is a countywide rate. So if an area gets annexed into the city of Bloomington, the taxpayers would pay exactly the same rate as right. before. Mm-hmm. The city would benefit slightly in the sense that more population would then be added to the the city territory, and so they would get a larger share of what is collected. But it doesn't affect the rate the individual taxpayer pays. Uh, this is going back to the point of potentially tightening the belts or maybe alternate sources other than raising the local income tax. And on Wednesday night, I believe it was Councilmember Piedmont Smith that asked the question about the food and beverage tax. And, you know, that was initially for the convention center. The project has, I think, hit the pause button, uh, at least for now. Um, is, is there money there that it could be pulled from? Well, the food and beverage tax, as you, as you suggested, is dedicated uh, by law to the convention center. And uh, I'm a big proponent of the convention center. I think it's a really important downtown investment. Uh, we did hit pause during the pandemic. Um, but uh, a cup one, the um, food and beverage tax, a lot of it is paid by visitors, outsiders, um, certainly not all of it. Uh, but anybody who goes into a restaurant or buys, um, you know, outside of grocery, food ready to eat or bars or those kinds of things, a lot of those students who uh, don't count in some ways spend a lot of money that pays food and beverage tax that helps um, we have used that money in the in the pandemic to help restaurants survive. We've lent millions of dollars, and it's actually quite uh, powerful evidence. Uh, we've just seen the first three quarters, uh, three months this year, the food and beverage industry has bounced back. They're stronger than ever, and I'm a strong proponent of dedicating that funding to what it needs to be used for by law, which is the expansion of the convention center downtown. It also, by law, can be used for tourism uh, and, and uh, so I mean that's that's one thing that I, I don't know if the the mayor's budget talked to that, but that's one thing that it can be used for. Um, well, but, the the county can use it for that, but our okay. percentage, percentage of it is, by, be, is dedicated by by contract kind gotcha. of interlocal okay. that we will use it all for the convention center. Gotcha. But I, it is true that the county, right. which gets their share, they can use it for Cars Farm Park or fairgrounds right. or other tourism <laughs> stuff, which is great. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Susan Sandberg, next question for you. Um, you know, you said that there's a lot of discussion still to happen. Uh, and one of the big things that came out of Wednesday was the timing of all of this and mm-hmm. whether or not it's happening too quick and there needs to be more discussion. Do you do you think next Wednesday is too quick to make a decision? Well, this didn't come out of nowhere. I mean, we've all been anticipating and ramping up to this. So uh, we've all had an opportunity. And and the uh, administration did do a very good job of having some workshops where all of us on the council had an opportunity to talk to the department heads and and our controller. Those were some of the most valuable meetings that I attended, talking to to Jeff Underwood. And um, he's pretty much convinced us all that there is an absolute need for additional 
additional revenues in order to maintain uh, the great city services that Bloomington provides and to make sure that we're not going into deficit deficits into the future. So um, we, we're ready for this. Now, can I guarantee what my <laughs> colleagues are going to do on Wednesday night? No, I cannot. Some oh, people think damn. that the president <laughs> has all this authority and power, and basically all I am is a fancy scheduler. <laughs> so what I can tell you is if we are not able to come to a decision on Wednesday, there is the possibility that the following week on the 27th, which is typically scheduled for a committee of the whole, we don't have any items for that committee of the whole, so we could technically schedule a special session if we had to. If we're not able to come to a consensus on where where do we want to land with the percentage, where do we want to kind of adjust some of these four buckets, um, refine them maybe a little more clearly. Uh, so there's always time. I know from the mayor's perspective, he would like to get this decision um, in hand as soon as possible because we do have a budget ahead of us. All of us have to be able to think about what we what we have, what we don't have, and, and how we're going to go into the following year. So um, does that give you the Fingers best crossed. answer? Fingers I can crossed. Give Fingers <laughs> crossed that this council can decide um, where our priorities are, what we can give a little, take a little, um, and come to some because I, I frankly feel that it's too big right now. We need to bring it down. I think that's respectful to the taxpayers. All right. We have about a minute and a half left. I'm going to pop over to William Ellis. Yeah. Final thoughts moving forward with this. I, I just wish and I understand the city's needs. And I, I hate to say our needs need to override yours. And I don't think that. That's why I wish these could be separated. But for Ellettsville, I just don't think our residents, this is a good timing to do any tax increases, and we're doing everything we can uh, to limit that. I just wish there was a better option. All right. Mayor Hamilton, final thoughts. 30 seconds. (laughs) Thank you for having us on. Uh, Again, this is a high-ambition city. I wish we had more flexibility, too, but uh, I've asked for this because I think it's a responsible way for us to move forward. All right. Well, that was William Ellis, John Hamilton, Justin Ross, and Susan Sandberg. That is all the time we have for today. I want to thank our four guests for joining us. My co-host, Joe Wren, our producer, Ben Taboutier, and engineer, Mike Pashkash. I'm Holden Napsher. This has been Noon Edition. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Integrity First Insurance, provider of Erie Insurance for all your auto, home, life, and business insurance needs. More information at 812-269-8897 or integrityfirstinsuranceservices.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org.